Okay, well, let's open up to Romans chapter 15. The book of Romans chapter 15. Uh, the Apostle Paul was mightily used by God to take the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond the people of Israel to the Gentiles, to the nations of the world. And we have seen the origin of his ministry. Uh, that he was appointed to this by Jesus Christ himself on the Damascus Road. Uh, we have seen in this passage the aim of Paul's ministry. To help build the kingdom of Christ. Uh, the great number of the redeemed people who will be presented to God on the last day. From every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation. Paul was at work to see those people brought in by the gospel. And now we're looking at the nature of Paul's ministry. Last time we saw that Paul's ministry is under the authority of Christ. That Paul was one of Christ's ministers, one of Christ's servants in Christ's service. And we saw that his ministry was uniquely to the Gentiles, the nations. In every town he went to, he preached in the synagogue first. He sought to reach fellow Jews with the gospel. But in the providence of God, his ministry was primarily a Gentile-focused ministry. And we hit hard last time on the plan of God to save a people for himself from every nation. This morning, we're going to finish our study of these verses by noting four more aspects of the nature of Paul's ministry. And these are huge for not only understanding Paul, but for understanding how missionaries today should go about their work, and also for understanding how you and I should fulfill the callings that God has given to us. How did you come into the room this morning? Did you come in here eager to be entertained or to be inspired? Or did you come into this room eager to worship your Savior and then to continue receiving instruction from Him to guide you as you serve Him? Do you see yourself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the callings that you're fulfilling Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, do you see those callings inside this wonderful thing called servanthood? Can you say, I am a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the word minister simply means servant, service. This was Paul's favorite title for himself, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus. Uh, We find James, Peter, Jude, John, they all refer to themselves by this title, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was how the early church, the early Christians, the apostles, this was how they thought of themselves. It was their identity. Christ was their Savior King, and by His blood they had been brought into His service, and they were living for the glory of Christ, are we. 
If so, then these verses have much to say to us about the nature of our service, the way we are to carry out our lives in service to King Jesus. So let's begin in verse 14. We're going to read these verses one more time. Verse 14 of Romans 15. This is the word of God. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So four more aspects of the nature of Paul's ministry. Number one, I want us to see that Paul's ministry was a gospel ministry. Here is how Paul served Christ. Here is how Paul served Gentiles. Here was Paul's primary tool of bringing salvation to people. Paul's ministry was a gospel ministry. Do you see it in verse 16? Paul speaks of the grace that God gave him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. It makes you think about the beginning of the book of Romans. And another verse 16. We read it earlier this morning. Right? Romans 1.16. Where, where Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. And why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is a message. Literally it's good news. And Paul teaches us in this letter. That this message, when accompanied by the Holy Spirit, brings dead people to life. This message, when accompanied by the Holy Spirit, causes lost people to get found. Causes hell-bound people to become heaven-bound people. Causes people who are rebelling against God to become reconciled to God and even adopted by Him as their children. What other news do you know has such power? What other message in this world has that kind of an effect on human beings? This is the most important message in the world. The, the message of Christ crucified for sinners. 
we who are deserving of hell can be with God forever in heaven and we can know him and enjoy him and love him and serve him and live in his love forever all through faith in his son. This message is not popular in our day and it was not popular in Paul's day. Paul met opposition everywhere he took this message. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The world didn't know God through Plato. The world didn't know God through Socrates. The world didn't know God through Aristotle. Okay? There, nevertheless, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. The foolishness of what we preach. To save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul says that his calling is to go around propagating an unpopular message. A message that sounded foolish to people who heard it. I mean, really, Paul? God sent his son into the world with no pomp, no glory. He lived in a podunk town. He had no place to lay his head. Then he was falsely accused and, and died a criminal's death. And you want us to believe he rose from the dead and by trusting in him, we go to heaven. Paul, that sounds weird. And that sounds ridiculous. And it is not the kind of king we would expect to trust in. Uh, sounds like something out of a, a weird fairy tale. And Paul says, it is the wisdom of God and it is the power of God. The gospel is losing popularity in our own day, in our own culture. Uh, the gospel is increasingly laughed at, mocked. Um, I won't even begin to talk about the way people on social media sometimes talk about the gospel. Uh, put nicely, there are people all around our country fellow citizens who think we are absolute idiots for believing this message. They think you are not just foolish, but evil, bigoted, destructive, because you believe this message. Mount Hermon, we must never lose the gospel. We must never be ashamed of the gospel. We must never apologize for the gospel, but we must believe it, we must defend it, and we must share it. The gospel is to be central to our lives. This message of Christ crucified, risen, coming again, this is where we draw all our hope, this is where we draw all our joy, our security, our peace, 
The gospel isn't just the door through which we enter into salvation. It is the well from which we drink and find strength every single day. If we lose the gospel, we have nothing to offer to this world. The gospel is the greatest gift you have to give someone else. Do you know that? You may have a lot of money or you may have very little money. You may have a lot of wisdom or very little wisdom. You may have lots of connections that you can use to help people or you may have very few connections. You may have great skills. You may have very few skills. Whatever the case, here is the greatest gift that you can ever give another person. It is the message that brings them to Jesus. It is the message that points them to the one who can save them. Only Jesus can take away a person's sins. Only Jesus can can save them from the wrath those sins deserve. The gospel is how we bring people to Christ. It is the most important message in the world. Paul was a missionary. His primary tool was the gospel. We are a missionary Baptist church. Our primary tool must always be the gospel. And let me be blunt. The day this church becomes about something else, lock the doors. Burn down the building. Because it would be better for us not to be seen here as a church than to be called a church where the gospel is not found. This is who we are to be. A gospel ministry. It should define our church and it should define our lives. Amen. Amen. Number two. See that Paul's ministry was a priestly ministry. Priestly. Do you see in verse 16? Paul talks about the grace God gave him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. And Paul was really emphasizing this. Because remember, the word minister in verse 16 is not the normal word, uh, diakonos, deacon. It's not the normal word minister or servant that we find throughout the New Testament. The word minister that he uses here is the word used to refer to ministers in the temple, priests fulfilling their duties. So Paul had already used this temple service language, and now he calls his service a priestly service. So he's he's repetitively emphasizing the point. His work is priestly work. His ministry is a priestly ministry. What does that mean? What's What's he driving at there? I think he's making two points. The first, we saw in an earlier message, I think he is pointing out that the true temple is the church of Christ. And that all of us get to be temple servants by serving the body of Christ. Does that click for you? Do you get that? You get to be a temple servant by serving the body of Christ. There were very few people in the history of Israel that ever got to serve in the temple. Very few. David was a king. He wasn't a priest. He never got to serve in the temple. I think if you had asked him, he would have gladly given up his throne to have been able to spend one day serving in the temple. 
It was such an honor. The sons of Korah wrote in Psalm 84, A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Remember how Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 had that special opportunity to go into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, just the outer room, the holy place. And that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. He had the great privilege as a priest to go serve in the temple, in the holy place, one time for one time slot on one day in his entire life. And he would never get to do it again. It was only allotted to a priest to do that once. Most people in ancient Israel never got to be a temple servant. Paul is saying here that because of the true temple is the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we all get to be temple servants. We all get this privilege. Every follower of Christ Jesus, every member of the body, as they seek to serve one another, is doing priestly service, temple service. I think Paul's making another point with this priestly language. I think he's saying in verse 16 that just as priests carry out a ministry of sacrifice and offerings, so he is carrying out a similar ministry. That his ministry is all about a sacrifice, all about an offering. Think about the priests as they served in the Old Testament. If they were only allowed to serve in the holy place for one time slot on one day in their entire lifetimes, what were priests in the temple doing most of the time? Well, the answer is they were assisting the people of Israel in their sacrifices and offerings. Thousands of people came to the temple each year. At some points, there were perhaps thousands offering sacrifices on a single day, especially during festival seasons. So you've got thousands of people with their thousands of animals and their thousands of grain offerings. And there's all these priests and they're there to help these people make these sacrifices. What was priestly work? It was cutting the throat of animals. Priestly work was removing the appropriate portions of the innards of an animal. Priestly work was was sprinkling blood and lifting up prayers to God for the one sacrificing. Being a priest was a bloody business. We've already seen Paul talk about the great offering that he is working with Christ to help present to God on the last day. That Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the one putting together an offering of redeemed people saved by his own blood. Jesus is redeeming people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that will be presented to God as blameless worshipers on the last day. Paul's not the great high priest. Paul's serving under the great high priest. And we also, as the church, have now been made priests unto God. And we are assisting in this great sacrifice. We are assisting in this great offering. Yes, every sacrifice and offering at the temple pointed to Jesus giving himself on the cross. But also, every offering in the temple pointed to the day when Jesus presents that ultimate offering, that 1 Corinthians 15 offering of the redeemed nations to God. So Mount Hermon, not only are you doing priestly work 
as you serve the people of God, you're doing priestly work as you share the gospel with others. You're doing priestly work as you support missionaries with your prayers and with your funds. Every time you support the training of ministers and missionaries in the seminaries, you're doing priestly work. You're helping bring about this great offering that will be presented to God on the last day. You're serving alongside Paul. You're serving under the great high priest in the work of preparing this offering. So Paul's ministry was gospel ministry. It was priestly ministry. Number three, Paul's ministry was spiritual. Was spiritual. In other words, Paul did not carry out his mission in his own strength. Paul did not go preach and teach and perform miracles out of self-confidence. No, Paul's entire method was to rely on the Holy Spirit. Paul was a servant of Jesus, and Jesus would accomplish his purposes through Paul, through the supernatural, through Holy Spirit strength. Verse 16. Verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As Paul preached the gospel in town after town, he knew that it was the Holy Spirit alone who set people apart and brought them to salvation. And as he appointed elders in each town, as he mentored young men, as he discipled new Christians and wrote letters to help churches, he knew it's the Holy Spirit that's going to make these people holy. Paul would have been the first to say that anything of eternal value in his ministry was owing entirely to the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. In fact, he does speak that way. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. What? Shame on you, Paul. How can you speak that way? That sounds arrogant. How can you say you're proud of your work for God? Well, as we see, Paul's pride was not a Paul-centered pride. (laughs) His pride was in Jesus. Because look at verse 18. Verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Now, Herman, we are only of use to Christ... When we are empty of ourselves and trusting in Him to work through us. We should not venture to speak of things done in our our own strength. We should only talk about what Christ has done in us and through us. Can you point to good that has been accomplished in your life that you know that was not my doing, that was Christ at work in me? Can you see times when on your own, you would have been unable to make a difference at all? But Christ gave you courage or Christ gave you wisdom. Christ worked in his providential way that you would be a blessing to others. As we witness to others, we do so in prayer and faith and dependence on the Spirit. As you carry out your callings tomorrow, you should do so in prayer, in faith, in dependence on the Spirit. 
as we raise our kids and love our spouses and care for our brothers and sisters, this ought to be our attitude. This ought to be our our motivation. May Christ be at work in me. May Christ take my nothingness. May Christ take my so little that I can bring to the table that it doesn't even count. And can he make it powerful? Loaves and fishes. I don't have much. I don't have much. Five loaves, two fishes. It's very little for all this need. But Jesus, you've multiplied that before. Can you multiply it again? Paul had seen this. And he says he's seen it in word and he's seen it in deed. He knew what it was to have the Holy Spirit working in him as he preached, as he proclaimed the word. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to talk about unction and how preachers should long for unction. First of all, isn't that a great word? Everybody just say unction. You got to have that deep unk, right? Unction, right? Unction. He said that Lloyd-Jones said that preachers should prepare their sermons. Preachers should prepare themselves to serve God's people with the Bible But then they should come to the pulpit crying out that God would give them unction. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can give. Suddenly, the preacher's words have more weight in them. Suddenly, the the truths being shared seem to have a sharper point. Hearts are being pierced. Souls are being convicted. Jonathan Edwards preached his most famous sermon to his own congregation, and it had no effect whatsoever. And then he goes to a church that had been praying for the Holy Spirit to work. He preaches the same sermon, and he doesn't even get to finish it because of the people crying out, What must I do to be saved? Now, Herman, we should pray that God would give unction in the preaching. We should pray that the Holy Spirit would be here accomplishing much through the words of the preacher, through the words of the Sunday school teachers, through the words of the the scripture reading and the songs that we sing. And even throughout the week, as you get an opportunity to speak to this coworker, as you get an opportunity to speak to this relative, as you get an opportunity to speak to this friend about things that matter, you should be praying, Spirit, speak through me. Spirit, be at work. Spirit, would you make me useful to you? We don't do these things in our own strength. Our ministry is to be a spiritual ministry. Paul mentions deeds, and he elaborates. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So as Paul came to each place, each town, each city, ready to bring God's word, the Spirit was also at work, not just in his preaching, but through miraculous signs and wonders. This was God's way of bringing people to the apostles and causing people to hear them out and consider what they had to say. I don't think this is something we should regularly expect in our own day, except in those places where the gospel is coming still for the first time. I don't think it's an accident where the, the places where we have the most reputable claims of miraculous signs and wonders today are from those places where there are pioneer missionaries taking the gospel to peoples who have never heard it. 
And Paul was experiencing this, right? He's bringing this message that to anybody's ears would have sounded silly, right? Believe in this guy from this podunk town. Who, right? Here's his message. But the Spirit is at work grabbing people's attention through signs and wonders. Acts 13, we find Paul temporarily blinding Elimus, the magician. In Acts 14, we find Paul in Iconium, and we're told that he performed various miracles there. In Lystra, Paul heals a crippled man. In Acts 16, Paul heals a woman possessed by an evil spirit. We think about the miraculous earthquake that set Paul and Silas free from pit prison, even causing their, their chains to unshackle and the prison doors to, to open up. We find Paul performing miracles in Ephesus and raising Eutychus from the dead in Troas. Uh, we have Paul bitten by that venomous viper. And everybody's watching him, ready for him to die. They're waiting for him to die. And we're told in Acts 28, he was unharmed. And that he even went around that island healing others who were suffering from d- diseases. All of this was the Holy Spirit working to bless Paul's ministry and the effectiveness of his preaching. All of this was the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to cause the gospel to be heard, attended to, and sometimes believed. So what is the application for us? We too are to live lives dependent on the Spirit. Don't presume that you know how things are going to go each day. Instead, seek to be faithful in every calling God has given you. And seek to take advantage of every witnessing opportunity that God brings your way. But do so praying for the Spirit to show Himself. Do so praying for the Spirit to work mightily. To cause Christ to be powerfully seen by others around you. Mount Herman, what I said earlier about the gospel, I could just as easily say about the Spirit. If there is ever a day when we feel like we can do church just fine here, we don't need the Holy Spirit, close the doors. Where there is no looking to the Spirit, where there is no depending on the Spirit, where there is no pleading for Christ to work through the Spirit, there is no church. Because the church is a spiritual entity. Born of the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, and hopefully, increasingly, walking in the Spirit. And so we should be praying that Christ would cause us to experience more of the Spirit's power here among us. Okay, number four. Finally, let us just note very quickly that Paul's ministry was successful. It was a successful ministry. Uh, This is verse 19 as well, where he says that from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he has fulfilled the ministry of Christ. So Illyricum, uh, a Roman province northwest of Greece, okay, uh, on the eastern side of the Adriatic Sea, across from, from Italy. So Paul is rejoicing that the gospel has now made it many hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. Don't get the wrong idea. He's not saying the Great Commission is done. He's not saying, I've done it all, it's fulfilled. No, that's why he speaks in the next two verses about his desire to get the gospel to new places, to new frontiers, to peoples who have never heard. And as we will see, Spain is on his brain. He wants to get the gospel 
to Spain. He wants to push the gospel further west to more peoples who have never heard. But he is able to look at what God had already done and say, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, the gospel has gone forth. and Churches are being planted. People are being saved. So what do we see about Paul's ministry? We saw the origins given to him by God. We saw the aim to bring about that great kingdom of redeemed people from every tongue, tribe, and nation presented to God by Christ on the last day. We saw the nature of his ministry. It's under the authority of Christ. It's to the nations. It's a gospel ministry, a priestly ministry, a spiritual ministry. And in the providence of God, it was a successful ministry. Mount Hermon, let us pray that for our lives and for our church, those very things would characterize us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.